you would open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It is my great joy and privilege to be able to preach concerning the dear desire of every nation that we just sing about and the joy and hope that he brings. I hope and trust that you know the joy of the Lord. There is no joy to be found in this world apart from him that is lasting, that is sure, that is based upon the firm foundation of hope that we have in him that is found in the scriptures. I want to read the words of the angels that were spoken from the glories of heaven to the shepherds that are found in Luke chapter 2. So if you'll find your place there and read with me, we're going to begin in verse 8 and read down through the 20th verse. Before we read, I just want to remind you, when we consider the remedy of God for fallen mankind, particularly in the gospel of his son, our hearts should be filled with joy. I hope and pray that this never becomes anything less than the glorious news that it is. For all of our familiarity, for all of our learning, for all of our knowledge, the simple and base message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he brings, the message of him brings great joy to the people of God. When you think about him, when you think about what he has done to rescue you from your fallen condition How can our hearts be anything but full of the joy of the Lord? So let's read what these privileged shepherds heard on the night of his birth. Now there were shepherds in the same country living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorying and praising God for all the things that they had heard. And seen as it was told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his eternity. 
We thank you, Lord, that in time he was born of a virgin. We thank you, Lord, that he went to the cross willingly and gladly and endured that for us. We thank you that you raised him from the dead, declaring him to be your son, and that he is now ascended back into heaven. We worship him. We bow before him. We do so in his name. Amen. So my particular attention is going to be given to the saying in verse 10, but we need to see what's going on before and after. Where the angels say to these shepherds, these poor, lowly shepherds, I bring you good tidings of great joy. You know, it's not to be lost on us. That the birth of Christ was first announced to the most humble men doing the most humble work. As you read through these verses, you get over toward the end of what we read. And everyone is marveling because of what they had heard from the shepherds. That's really for two reasons. Primarily, first and foremost, the good news that they're hearing. But secondly, these shepherds are speaking to people. This is not their normal activity. This is not what they normally do. They don't usually intermingle with the crowd. They're usually out in the field as we first find them in verse 8. But now they have something to make known concerning Jesus Christ and that they do. So toward the end of this, I hope, Lord willing, to, to see these same shepherds or to see in them some type of pattern for us as the people of God. And how we respond and then how we initially respond and then how we take that response even further in obedience to the Lord. But before we do that, I want to break the the words of the angels down into three parts and talk about the good tidings that they brought and the resulting great joy and then how pervasive this message is. Being made known to all people. So let's read that verse again. Here in verse 10. The angel said to them. Do not be afraid. You pick up on a pattern as you read through the gospels. When angels appear. Usually. Either their first word or somewhere near the beginning of what they say is fear not. For good reason here. Jesus has just been born of Mary. And this news must be made known. And this is the only place in scripture where this this season is the only season in scripture where angels are the heralds of this message. Angels are the heralds of this message here. But from this point forward, that responsibility And we need to not only see it as a responsibility, we need to see it as the privilege that it is, is that now the responsibility to make this message known is placed upon me and placed upon you. You know, we often sing this season of the year, angels we have heard on high. I wonder if those who know you best in your workplace, in your home, if they could 
sing that about you? Have you made the message of the gospel known to those around you? Are you singing, trumpeting the message of Jesus loudly because you have now something to say concerning him? Do those around you marvel at the words you say or to our shame, do they marvel more so about what we don't say? About what we're not making known concerning him. But the first thing that we see here is that after they tell the shepherds not to be fearful, they replace the fear with joy very quickly. And that's what the message of the gospel does. When you hear the gospel for the first time, when the Lord gives you a real understanding of your sin and your need of a Savior, what was your initial response? Probably fear. Because you understood that sin had separated you from a holy God. So very quickly then does the message of the gospel come in with all of its sweetness. Fear not. I bring you good tidings or good news as some of your translations read. We're reading Luke's gospel. You know that Luke also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. That makes him the author of more of our New Testament than anyone else. Over 20 times in these two writings of his, Luke and Acts, he uses this phrase, I bring you good tidings, or more succinctly, good tidings, the message of the gospel. This is a favorite word of his. This is a favorite phrase of his. He speaks about this gospel very often. You may have, if you have a good reference or a good study Bible, you can follow this all throughout his gospel in the book of Acts where this word is used, this phrase is used. Really, it means, if we were to translate it literally, it means to evangelize. To make the message of the gospel known. This, this is what the angels are doing to these shepherds. They are making the message of the gospel known. But don't miss this. They brought the message. Behold, the angel says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It's still true. The message of Jesus Christ, the gospel must be taken to people. We must bring it. The Lord doesn't announce the gospel of Christ in this way anymore. There are no angels breaking in in the darkness of night in all of their glory, in all of their splendor, either speaking or singing of the goodness of Christ. That rests upon you and I as Christians. Every Christian is to be an evangelist in this sense. Every Christian is to have the good tidings of Christ upon his lips, to make known to those who sit in darkness. Now notice the scenery. Notice the context. Don't miss it. This is for a reason. The Spirit of God is, is using this to teach us a lesson. Where were these shepherds found? They were keeping watch over their flock by night. It was dark. You can't miss as you read the scriptures the imagery of darkness. And light. 
You can't miss as you read the scriptures how often the Old Testament prophets would talk about the light that is to come. The light that is to break in on darkness. We're going to see some of those verses later out of the book of Isaiah. But that is prefigured and it is shown to really in a glorious way here to these humble shepherds who, by the way, were going about their ordinary business. I wonder if that might be your testimony. Were you going about your ordinary business in life, enslaved in darkness and sin? And then suddenly, as if out of nowhere, the glory of the Lord shone around you because you heard the message of the gospel. More importantly, the Lord opened your ear and let you hear it for the good news that it is. So we have something in common with these shepherds, don't we? But notice the second part of this that they say to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings Of great joy. The response to the good news of Jesus Christ. To those who believe it. To those whose hearts are opened to understand. To those to whom the Lord has made it known. Is always and only. And Lord willing increasingly. Joy. Or perhaps we should say it as the angel. Great joy. Let me tell you what Peter says, remind you of what Peter says about this. If you want to turn there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. One of the things we can't get away from as we read, whether it's the writings of Paul or Peter or John or whomever it may be, is that these men were filled with the joy of the Lord. We might even borrow the words from Nehemiah. Nehemiah, The joy of the Lord is their strength. If you found 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll notice that in these first verses, Peter is talking about the place of suffering, the place of trial in the life of a believer. But notice where this takes him. He begins to speak about The glory and the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's doing there is pointing forward to the fact or reality that all of these sufferings are temporal by nature. They are not eternal. They are not lasting. These things that we are suffering in this life now, the tribulation that Jesus spoke of at the end of John 16, is confined to this life. He begins to speak of this glory and praise and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verse 8, he says, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice. How so? This is the measure of joy that a Christian should have. And I wonder if it's yours. He says, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we have from from two of the men most greatly used by the Lord, Peter, the disciple that walked with him, that betrayed him, that was restored by him, that was the preacher on the day of Pentecost. 
And we have Saul of Tarsus saved on the road to Damascus, made the apostle. Both of these men, one very well educated Paul, one not so educated Peter. Neither of them, when considering the greatness of the gospel of Christ that begins with the incarnation and birth of the Son of God, neither of them can find words to describe it. Isn't that interesting? These men are being used by the Spirit of God to write the Word of God. But neither of them, when contemplating the vastness of the mystery and the glory of the gospel, the good tidings of great joy, neither of them find words. Peter says, it is joy inexpressible. And I've alluded to this verse once already, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. This time it's Paul. It's not the fisherman Peter. It's the well-educated Pharisee. And if you go back and read that That chapter, as he builds towards this, he ends by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul had no words either. This is where we're left when the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks in on the darkness of our sin and our realization that we are standing before God as guilty. I wonder if any of you this morning are sitting here with a new revelation from the Lord that you are guilty before God. You've never before sensed your guilt like you sense it now. You never before have felt your the weight of condemnation like you feel it now. If that's you, then you can most easily and readily relate to both Peter and Paul When the understanding of the gospel comes and you realize that God, your father in heaven, in grace, in mercy and in love has made a way for your salvation. Then you'll borrow the words from Paul. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You'll borrow the words from Peter and you will say that I am filled with joy inexpressible and it's full of glory. Because I understand I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once I didn't see spiritual reality, it was all closed to me. But now the scales of my eyes have been removed. My ears have been opened and I see spiritual reality for what it is. I was condemned before God. If I had died in my sins, I would have rightly been An object of his eternal wrath. But God in grace and mercy has come to me in the person of Jesus Christ. In the night of my sin. While I was just figuratively like these shepherds. Out watching my flock. Unconcerned about anything else. Unconcerned about my sin. That's the marvelous thing about this. These shepherds. They weren't searching for any of this. They had done nothing to make themselves ready recipients of this message. Nothing at all. But here the angel comes and he speaks to them as he has spoken to many of us through the word of God, which is the power of God unto salvation. And we know exactly from that point on about this great joy 
that is being spoken of here. But notice how pervasive this message is to be spread. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Certainly it's a message for all people because the scriptures condemn all under sin. The Jew and Gentile alike. If you skip over into the same chapter, one of the lengthiest chapters in Luke, you see the conversation that Simeon has with Mary and Joseph concerning Christ. And part of what he says, this song of Simeon that's found in verse 28 through 32, this old man takes Jesus the babe up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What a privileged place this man had. But he goes on in verse 31 by saying, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon and the angel agrees that this baby is for all. Simeon and the angel agree that this baby is the Savior. There is no other. It's the same word used. Simeon uses it actually twice. Once he uses it in the plural, verse 31, you have prepared before the face of all peoples. And then he uses it in the singular when he says, this is the glory of your people, Israel. What he's recognizing, the same thing we recognize, and what the angel made known is that Christ, the good tidings of Christ, which result in great joy, is a message that is to be preached to all people. Now you can go back and read those verses from Isaiah and other Old Testament prophets like this and see the glory of them. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to this light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. This is the light of Christ that broke in to the darkness. And might I remind you, it's not too far back. You have to turn in the gospel records to see that this is really the beginning of the word of God coming after a great famine. You remember the famine of the word of God. That space of hundreds of years where there was no message from the Lord. There was no prophet to speak. But with the dawning of Christ, with his coming. God began to make himself known yet again. And the imagery is found not just in the old, but even Matthew 
In chapter 4, verse 14, as he is writing and contemplating these things, he quotes again from Isaiah, this time from the 42nd chapter, and he says, the people who sat in darkness. You know how that finishes, right? The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Does any wonder why Isaac Watts, the beloved hymn writer, a hymn that Lord willing we'll all sing together next week, begins one of his greatest hymns, a beloved hymn of the faith, Joy to the World. Why? The Lord has come. There is no longer those who are sitting enslaved in that darkness, but Christ has come and he is a savior for the world. This good tiding in great joy concerning him will be to all people. If you continue reading this account down through verse 20, which we did earlier, it's interesting by when you see the response of these shepherds. There is more information given them in verse 11. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is... Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. When you find him, you will find him wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Then I want you to see verse 13. Suddenly, there was with the angel, the angel who had been speaking and making these things known, Here he's not named. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What these angels knew of the fall of man. But more importantly, what they knew Of the Son of God who has come to rescue them. The angels saw keenly the effects of sin upon mankind. The angels saw keenly the effects of sin upon the world, upon creation. Nothing was like it used to be, everything is now fallen. Is it any wonder why they say these words? Glory to God in the highest. There's two ways that we can understand that. First, glory to God in the highest as the as being the highest, the the most exalted. The God of gods, the almighty, the creator. Glory to God in the highest. The second way that we can understand it is glory to God in the highest way that we could express it. Glory to God in the highest way that we could raise praise to him. And notice they are saying this. This is their response after Christ is born. The prince of heaven. The second person of the Godhead, whom they had to this point seen, robed in his glory, in full equality with the Father, 
Perhaps they were privileged to some way or another. Part of this is just speculation on my part and upon yours if we were to pry into these things of God. But perhaps they were privileged to have been, to have heard of this plan of redemption. Perhaps they saw the willingness of the Son to go into His creation and rescue a people. You know, we're told by Peter concerning the message of the gospel that the angels are puzzled. They don't fully understand. These are, these are things that the angels desire to look into. Angels know nothing of redemption. You realize that. There are two groups of angels. Elect angels, the scripture calls them, and fallen angels. The fallen angels, we're told by Jude and Peter, are reserved for judgment. There is no opportunity. Once they fell with Satan, once they fell in with him and into his train, there is no possibility of redemption for them. So as they look at mankind, all of mankind having fallen, and they see the Prince of Glory setting aside that glory to enter creation, they're puzzled, yes, But it's also occasion for them to say what they say here in the 14th verse. Glory to God in the highest. What about on earth? Well, they say, and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. This is the informed praise and worship of the heavenly host directed towards God who is merciful and gracious and the response of Christ having now actually entered in to his creation. The heavenly fanfare. What a great sight these shepherds saw and notice what they do in response. It was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven or back into heaven that the shepherds first had a conversation amongst themselves. And the conversation could be summarized by saying, well, well, let's go and see. We're told that we're going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Let's go and see. The Lord has made it known. Let's go and see if it is exactly as they say. And they came with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them. What was the saying which was told them? Fear not. Why? I bring you good tidings of great joy. A Savior has been born in the city of David, and he is Christ the Lord. So at the response of what these shepherds say, all marvel, all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. I've already alluded to this, but these shepherds, which once had nothing to say, now had more than they could say. (laughs) These shepherds, which once had nothing to offer to society, now had the best news ever. These shepherds who were the most 
despised, most isolated, and probably the dirtiest, now have the greatest message that the world has ever heard. God does indeed choose the lowly, doesn't he? There's not many mighty, not many noble or called, but God in his wisdom chooses the base things. Any wonder why Christians are exhorted and even commanded in the New Testament to be of humble mind, to not be haughty, to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to put others' needs before your own. The message of the gospel does not exalt us to a place of pride and haughtiness. Quite the opposite. It presses us so low in such great humility when we realize the message of the gospel is that the king of glory stepped out of that glory to save us. The king of glory wrapped himself in flesh and came and redeemed the people. And now he is ensuring that many sons are being taken to glory. Are you following Christ in that way? Have you heard the message of the gospel as these shepherds? We can borrow the words of the angel again. Behold, that's a word to grab your attention. You find it used in scripture to break into the mundane. You find it used just prior to some great expression of truth. Jesus often would say, behold, or verily, verily, I tell you the truth. Paul uses this word in a few places. It's a word that arrests your attention and demands that you hear what follows. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is for everyone. Christ is born. The one long prophesied. The one that was the long expected, just as we sang, come thou long expected Jesus. You see, there were Old Testament saints who were yearning for his coming. And he had come. And the result is great joy. Let me close by carrying this imagery of the shepherds out just a little bit further. And I'm not trying to press this further than than we should. I'm not trying to make this a some type of allegory. I don't want to go that far, but I do want you to see the imagery that I think is here. And I've already alluded to some. The most humble having made known to them the greatest news that ever was. They were interrupted 
by the light, literally the light of the gospel. As they went about their ordinary task, I hope and I pray to the Lord that he will interrupt us all by the light of his gospel. That the glory of the Lord would shine around you. And even as it shines around you, that it would produce in you great fear. Because God is holy. And you are not. You need someone. I need someone to mediate for me. And only the God man can do that. And as the glory of the Lord shines around you and it produces that fear on two different types. One, the fear of judgment, the fear of condemnation, but also produces in you fear in the sense of awe as to who God is, his greatness, his glory. Then what happens is that the gospel message will come and quell all those fears. And in its place, the Lord makes known to you that Christ is not only a Savior, He's the Savior. And then, when we come to Christ, that we would take this imagery to its fullest and be like these shepherds. And that we would go with haste and make widely known the sayings which were told to us. And that all would marvel. Not because we're speaking, but because of what we're speaking. That there is good news. Now, the world we live in is fallen. It's dark, increasingly so, and it's only going to continue. That's what makes the message of the gospel so great. So go and be a shepherd. Make widely known that which the Lord has shown to you, so that there will be others who can be numbered amongst the choir that are singing praise along even now with this heavenly host. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the message of Christ that begins with his incarnation. He, the king of heaven's glory. So humble, so meek. Coming in the likeness of men to redeem men. We thank you for sending him. We thank you, Lord, that you came. We thank you for these words that we've read, true words. That there are good tidings to be 
declared in this dark and dying world. There is great joy to be had in the midst of all the suffering and trials and tribulation of life. Help us to be as these lowly shepherds with haste going and making widely known the message that we have heard. Father, I pray in your mercy that you would save us all. Save us all. Take us all to glory. We pray you would interrupt and shine the light of the glory of Christ into another heart this day. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.